0: we are continuing with our series on confessional apologetics. We said the subtitle of this is the concept of confessional theology as the philosophical method of revelational presuppositional apologetics. We believe that our apologetics must be derived from the same Source as the method that our theology is developed from. And there is nothing that we have greater than the confession itself, I believe, outside of course scripture, but written by men that articulates our faith according to the very teaching of the word of God. It is a book of men, It is not authoritative in the sense like the scripture being inspired is. But when we teach, when we teach what the word of God teaches, when we formulate the doctrine and confess that doctrine in our church and in our lives, as the scripture itself systematically states that same doctrine consistently from the beginning to the end of the book, we are speaking the authoritative word. It may not be the scripture per se. We may quote scripture reference to it. It may be implied from other things that we derive from the word, but it is by good and necessary consequence that we have deduced the truths of Scripture and settled them in a confession by which all that the Word of God teaches as is set forth in the confession is important to us in our faith and life and our practices. And so it is we're looking to understand One, the confessional theology of the church. And two, how to build a defense of our faith. An apologetic, which is partly a defense of the faith. It is a defense for sure. And I guess we could say in a broader way, it is a defense of our faith faith in thinking about the very nature of what we say we believe and adhere to in the Christian life, faith, and practice. And so it is, we have come to look at this, and we've been primarily examining this in light of this confession or creedal understanding of the faith that we live. And why is it important for that? And that's where we left off last Sunday. But if we could, first, our sermon text, 2 Timothy 1, 13 through 14. Here, the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, Hold fast the pattern of sound words. That pattern is a system of teaching concerning the great truths or doctrines, we call them teachings, we call them doctrines of the Christian faith. He said, what you have heard from me, through the preaching and writing of Paul, in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. These are centered in our Lord, established in him, in the faith that we profess concerning the pure gospel of Jesus Christ, that good thing which was committed to you, the truth, those words, that pattern of sound words, was committed to you, keep therefore, what, by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Let's have, if we could, a word of prayer, and then we will move forward. Our Holy Father, we thank you for this day that you have given us. We pray, O oh God, that you will bless us as we consider these weighty things before you, O oh God. How important for us to know your truth, those pattern of sound words, and to formulate them that we may be to establish the truth of scripture and that we may know that which is false that which comes to deceive us from Satan himself, and that, Father, we can guard against that from entering our church and corrupting the teaching or corrupting the people where they would not follow Christ according to the word, but follow a false doctrine, a false teaching, a false prophet, anything but that which your word commands us only to do. Now we pray, O God, give us eyes to see, a heart to receive, that which thy spirit would teach us from thy word. For we ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Well, we've been looking at this topic of the necessity of creeds and confessions in the church. And I want to go back to talk about the aspect of the Reformed perspective, if you'll remember, that we said is so important to us in understanding our faith. We looked at the tradition that is called tradition in Scripture we look at tradition as dealing with that, which is called the tradition of men. Thus, the word tradition, unless you define it by either being scriptural or being tradition of men, you're not going to understand and specify what script or tradition we are to be following in practice. So very important to make that distinction. Now we come to the reform perspective and we began this last Lord's Day in talking about the fact that anyone who says that a creed or a confession is not according to the scripture, that's just simply false. Or if someone said, you know, in the Reformation, they wouldn't have adhered to the idea of a creed or a confession as something that the church ought to profess. That too is an error. They did believe in a creed and confession. They were were just involved in every aspect of the Reformation of being able to write down that faith and practice that came as near to the word of God as possible. We are not being moved by the spirit of God to write the confession But the Spirit of God moved those men who wrote the Bible and we are as much as capable as we can to spell out that doctrine, that pattern of sound words. It won't be without error more than likely because we are not inspired. But we make the difference. Though it is not just a statement, i.e. from Scripture, we just read a text and say, ah, that's the meaning of the text. We don't even explain it. That would be a written confession or an oral confession, if you will. But we teach those doctrines Doctrines referred to even in scripture, sound doctrine. And when they are aligned with the truth of scripture, what is our goal, our job? This is what theologians are working toward all the time. We are always in the Reformed faith seeking to ride our doctrine and ship. We have been working on it for years. We still say, if you can bring us suffering from the word of God that says you didn't get this right, we will entertain your objection. We're not afraid to go to the word of God and to seek the truth. But if we are right according to the word, The authority of the word is conveyed in the confession, the creed, and the preaching of that word. And therefore, the word, through the statement of the creed, is binding upon you to believe. It's authoritative. This is what the word of God says. And God is saying, yes, that's exactly what the word of God says. So, you're bound to what the word teaches. Though maybe we have formulated in a way to better, if we could say that, understand other humans listening to us, it is binding up on all men. Because it is what? Simply the scripture extrapolated out in its truth. It does not differ. It gets all of its authority, it gets all of its inspiration, all of its infallibility, all of its surety, all of its sufficiency from the scripture alone. Well, we left off last Lord's Day, and we were dealing with this whole question of the reform perspective on Creeds and confession, and we said, however, if a creed, confession, or council was faithfully proclaimed the truth or the traditions of Scripture, such creeds or confessions in Reformed tradition, they are to be considered authoritative and binding because nothing more they are nothing more than biblical teaching systemized and explained. And that's where I left off. And so that is where we exactly want to pick up. And in looking at that statement, I'd like to give you a, a basically a rather lengthy quote, because I think it so well expresses what we are understanding, our responsibility and duty to be concerning the Word of God, and putting these things into a confession. Thus, Ahad wrote in defense of creedalism, and I quote, While the scriptures are from God, the understanding of them belongs to the part of men. We have to understand them. We cannot go, oh, these are mysteries and we never understand them. They have been given and revealed to us by the Spirit that we may know the truth of God. Men, he says, must interpret to the best of their ability each particular part of the Scripture separately and then combine all that the Scripture teaches upon different subjects in mutual consistency as part of a harmonious system. We take all the different parts, the different doctrines, and we flush them out according to the system or pattern of sound words. Then we take all of the doctrines and we connect them together in the coastline consistency and coherency of the teaching of the whole scripture in order that we get a complete understanding of all those didactical, or if you will, command scripture passages that tell us you must believe this, you must practice this in order that we may glorify God. That is, is something well stated by Dr. Hodge. Take the parts, separate them out, categorize them, the doctrine of scripture, the doctrine of God, the doctrine of covenants and men, the doctrines of Christ, the doctrine of self. And when we lay these all out and work through them, then we have to go back and we have to bring all the parts together as a whole system of theology. Now, the great systematicians in the history of the church are then capable of taking the whole system of theology and extrapolating it out into every category within the Encyclopedia of Knowledge. Sociology, education, politics, doesn't matter what the category is, culture, they're able to do it. But there's very few that have been capable of not just a soundbite on those things, truthfully entering into a full exchange in those topical areas. But this is the duty. This, he says, is the responsibility of the church. This is what we are to be doing. This is why a confession is most necessary. Rather than walk around saying, I wonder what we believe. Well, I can tell you what you believe. If you're a member of this church, this is what you're being taught. Here is our confession, here are our doctrines. And as you watch and read and see the flow of it, you go from point A to point Z. And it all has an interworking relationship from one doctrine to the next. They accumulate in knowledge. They accumulate and expand the truth of all that God has revealed of himself and of his will to us. <clears throat> Therefore, the concept of sola scriptura, scripture alone, simply meant that all doctrines and practices must come from the scripture explicitly or implicitly or by good and necessary consequence thereof. And we'll deal with that concept when we look at interpreting the Bible rightfully according to the teaching of Scripture. Calvin and the Reformers maintain that the teachings of creeds, councils, confessions, and even the writings of men must be examined as to whether they are teaching the apostolic or biblical tradition, traditions that we said are assigned in the word of God or the Bible. If they are teaching the doctrines of scripture, they are that authoritative rule for our life, faith, and practice. Creedal or confessional theology affords the means by which the church does teach the doctrines of the Bible in summary fashion. They're pulling it all together and they're articulating. Now, we've looked at all these scriptures, all the various texts and the context. We've exegetically looked how to interpret those texts. And we brought these categories together and we've articulated all of those scriptures. And we said, this is what all the scriptures are teaching. Now, people, I can't emphasize enough to you. This is what a preacher does every Sunday. Well, he should be. He should be teaching the word of God. He should be summarizing. He should be saying, let me explain this to you. He'll read a passage and say, now, this is also taught in other passages of scripture. Oh, now we got the pattern of sound words coming into play. And this is what you are to understand, to receive from this. You see, he is doing exactly what the reformers are doing. He's doing what you would do when you write it. I mean, if you wrote out his sermon and passed it out, it would be no different than writing a creed. If he gets up and preaches orally, he's giving a creed. He's telling you this is what the Bible says. So when I think about growing up in the circles that I did and hearing those old cliches, I wouldn't give you a nickel for a theologian. They're saying I wouldn't give you a nickel for a guy that studied the word of God and said. This is what it teaches. And it's funny. Those were preachers saying that. What you meant basically, I wouldn't give you a nickel for any of those preachers and what they said. Self-defeating and defying arguments. We do care about what we believe. About what we confess. And that is so important. Well, also, creeds and confessions allow its members of the church to identify false doctrines when they are promoted within the church. Whether somebody within the membership promotes it or comes up with what they think is a new idea, or whether it's an old heresy or a new heresy being promoted from outside of the church. We have a confession that people can go to it and say, ah, this is what the word of God says. Here are all the footnotes and the scriptures that brought forth this principle and we can see the Bible does not support this teaching or practice within the church. They can examine the preaching of the word. They can examine our teaching. They can examine home Bible studies or any place and, and many of these things are very dangerous. Why? Because we say, not that you cannot read the Bible and interpret it for yourself, but you need to have training in handling the word of God rightfully and carefully. You dare not speak in opposition to God's word because there is no excuse for misrepresenting the word of God or interpreting it falsely. That's why he says, let not many of you become teachers because there is a double judgment for those who teach, especially when they teach falsely. Those who are knowledgeable in Reformed tradition understand the confession or creed is nothing more than what they have exegetically determined that the Bible teaches or says. Doctrine again, let me emphasize that. This is just doctrine. Every church in America that a pastor stands up in and says, my sermon today is telling you an oral tradition or doctrine that he is saying is set forth in the word of God. Whether he does it through explicit, implicit, or by good or necessary deduction, as our confession says, it does not matter. Hermeneutically, we call it specific and general analogy. Scripture speaks directly and clearly states this, or it has implication to this. Thus, in one sense, it is and does not differ. From the preaching and teaching that you get at church. It does not differ from your duty as a father or mother in a home together. To teach your children the word of God correctly. It is used at every level. At every level. Personal, family, church. We have a duty to interpret and teach the word of the living God. It is in this context that we establish our understanding of dominational clarity of doctrine. Every proposition about believing something taught in the scripture is in reality Simply that creator confession. We call all of these doctrines didactics, meaning commands, things to believe, things to practice. And we believe that we are forbidden to deny those didactics. They must be practiced and they cannot be diminished. By sliding it with little clever cliches. Sounds pious, doesn't it? When it says, I wouldn't give you a nickel for a theologian. Now, I know what they're thinking. They're saying, basically, a guy that gets up and says, Well, this doctrine's really hard, but here's where we come down. Some come down here, some come down there. But we believe that historically, by the teaching of the church, Consistently, the predominance of scriptural evidence is on this view. They look at that and go, oh, they're splitting hairs. That's why I wouldn't have a theologian. Well, you're commanded to split hairs. You're commanded to decide what is and isn't true. That's why... You can't have a bunch of novices preaching. You can't have men standing in the pulpit saying, well, you know, I've got a word to get you out and help you have money and success. And that's not what the Bible's about. The Bible is about how we live and confess the faith that we live unto the purity of the gospel in Jesus Christ. That's what we're commanded. But yet scripture alone, we say over and over again, is the final determiner of what is true or false. Doctrine or teaching in the church. The Westminster Divines express this practice as follows, and I quote, the infallible rule of interpretation of scripture is the scripture itself. And therefore, when there is a question about the true and full sense of any scripture, which is not manifold but one, it must be searched and known by other places that Speak more clearly. So when the pastor stands up and says, well, here's a text and I think it means this, but he hasn't considered other texts that would perhaps move that meaning somewhat in what he says that one text says He's to know that he is right in teaching what is explicitly the emphasis because he has looked at other texts that deal with the same topic. That's all they're saying. Scripture interprets scripture. It's not real hard. But the admonition here is you gotta know the word. You gotta study the word. You can never exhaust the knowledge of the word. That's impossible. But you've got to study it. You've got to know it. Every one of us are basically commanded to be theologians. Oh, you're not going to be a paid systematician in a seminary or university. But as a Christian, your duty is to be a student of the word. You're to interpret the word. You're to be able to teach the word rightfully. And in that way, you're called to be a theologian. But let me give you an example. In Acts fifteen fifteen, we have here a text that says, and with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. In 2 Peter 1, 20 through 21, knowing this verse, that no prophecy of scripture Is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never come by the will of man. But the holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That's in chapter 1, section 9. And we'll take time looking at that when we go through. But the Westminster Divines go on to state: quote, the Supreme Judge. Which all controversies of religion are to be determined, and all decrees and councils or opinion of ancient writers, doctrines of men, and private spirits those who get up and would say, The Spirit of God has told me to do this or that are to be examined, and on whose sentence they are to rest. Otherwise, in their statement, they are to rest or they are to be trusted. Can be no other but the Holy Spirit speaking in the scripture. Doctrine of man, private spirits, councils, creeds, doesn't matter what it is. All of it has to be examined. By the word of God, the Holy Spirit teaching us to interpret that word and understand its meaning. In Matthew 22 29 through one, 20, 31, Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the scripture nor the power of God. What a great statement. This ought to be the model of every Christian. I do not want to be on this side. The finger point at me from the Lord and it says, You are wrong. You're mistaken. Not knowing what? The spirit?
1: (laughs) Not knowing the
0: mystical truths that are hidden in the word. You can't find them because it's all allegorically to be interpreted. Because it's deep scripture and Christians just shouldn't get involved in knowing the truth of the depth of the word of God. (laughs) He says, they simply don't know the scripture. They don't know what the scripture says. There's the mistake you'll make in your life. You'll make it in what you understand and what you practice. And when you fail to understand the truth of God, your problem is you don't know the scripture. When you don't, Faithfully practice what the word of God says. You know what your problem is? You don't know the scripture. Nor do you know what? The power of God according to the scripture. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given a marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, Have you not read that that which is spoken to you by God, saying, in Ephesians 2.20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. It's the word of God that is the foundation. It's the teaching of the apostles who followed Christ, who were inspired and moved by God to write, The word of God. In Acts 28 and 25, the same exhortation. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet and to our fathers. All those scripture texts, what are they showing us? The authority of the word, the necessity of the Spirit of God teaching that which is spiritually discerned to the common man and revealing unto us what is the real word of God's interpretation. My friends, I'm telling you, we must not forget. Let me drive this point home to you. We are bound by the word of God. There is no creed. There is no confession. There is no sermon. There is no home Bible teaching. There is no Sunday school teaching. There is no home Bible study. Nothing has the authority above the word. What everybody says must be in compliance with the word of God. Rightfully interpreted. It's not enough to say, oh, well, you know, I read the word tonight. Some do that for piety. Well, I, you know, I read the word every night. Well, what does it say? How come you keep killing people? Don't you understand what it says about killing, murder? You see, it's not the piety of an act. It's the piety and understanding the command that comes from those propositions of the Word of God. Well, I come to church. Well, good for you. You ought to. It's command of scripture. Oh, I tithe. Well, coming from the pastor's side of things, thank you for that. Well, I bring my Bible. Congratulations, we don't have any Pew Bibles here, so that's what you should be doing. Well, I even pray. Wonderful. Well, I sing songs and hymns. Wonderful. I take time out to be here on Sunday afternoon and I'm missing those football games. I'm sorry, but okay, wonderful. I, I'm telling you, those are all noble things. But none of those things will save you. None of those things will earn you any redemption. They will not necessarily earn you any good works. They are things that we are commanded to do, yes. But the failure is not in the action as much as it is in that sense of a mechanical response that we have to do if it replaces the sound teaching of the word of God. It does not. There are cults. There are religions around the world that the people go to their meetings. Faithfully, week in and week out, sometimes more faithful than we. Some of them meet daily. Some of them are teaching daily. Some of them tithe almost everything they have. That's not a command for you to do something here, but I'm just telling you. There are really pious people in their own religions who are faithful and go beyond. It's not going to keep them out of hell. It's the word of God to which we alone look and understand and understand those commands how to live, how we are to believe in order that we can live biblically that is so important to us. We need creeds and councils. You need to be taught systematically the word of God. You need to look at each doctrine. You need to understand how every doctrine has an in inner relationship with every other doctrine, and the whole pattern comes together through the whole word of God. We study it systematically in one way and that we took all the doctrines and we do that. Then we go back through and do what? A biblical theology. We look at the biblical progression of Revelation to understand how these doctrines unfolded in time and space as the spirit of God moves Men. Then we look at the historical theology in the church where the church began to say exactly what are we being commanded to believe and practice in the church. But everything is based upon one principle. You gotta know the word of God. Christ says the mistake is not knowing the scripture. Not knowing it for the sake of argument. Not knowing it because it is the way of truth. And therefore it dictates how we are to believe and live and practice our faith whether personally within our family or our church and our church within the community. That's the importance of this gospel. That's the importance of these creeds. And so it is, I'm trying to encourage you and really get you to understand this. The Word of God is literally the word of the living God. He who has created all things, he is the only redeemer of men. His word is truth. Every proposition is exactly as God wanted to give it to us. And we are to believe the propositions of the word of God and apply them to our life. Apply them to our church. We should apply them within society. If you want a just society, it must be based on the Bible. So it is. We must give time. We must give time to the creeds and confessions in order that we would be able to know the truth. To defend our church, our families, ourselves from false teachings. To be able to profess our faith. To give that hope that is within us before the world when they ask us. It is no small task. You have all been tasked with that job. You need to be in your own right, I said this very carefully, a theologian. You need to know the word of God. You need to be a Christian philosopher. You need to know what world and life view based on the word of God. You need to be a faithful apologist, someone who can defend the hope that they have within them. Why do you believe that? Let me tell you why. You need to have a biblical world and life view that applies all these things to every area of life. That doesn't mean you're going to be a professor. That is not giving you a title. There are too many out there proclaiming they're theologians, they're apologists, they're philosophers, they're this, they're that. I don't know who gave them the title, but they, you only have to read a little bit and say you don't have a title. It's not titles we're interested in. It's knowing the truth. What would you give to know the truth? What would a man exchange for his own soul? Would he give the whole world up in order to know the truth of God? That's the question. What's more important to you, a title or knowing the truth? Titles are empty if the individual is empty and doesn't know the truth. They're meaningless. Know the Bible. I don't know how more simpler to say that. Know the Bible. You've got to be a student of the Word of God. You've got to work through all those passages yourself. As a church we should not say, well, and we didn't in our denomination, by the way, we're going to head to the Westminster Confession. We worked through every doctrine. Do we believe what the confession says? How can you say, I believe in the confession, and you haven't worked through it? That's a blind faith. You couldn't defend it if you had to. But what's, more important, it's not just that you know your confession. Know the scripture in order that you know when you read the confession whether or not it's consistent with the word of God. So I've said it in every way possible. I don't care whether you teach it. I don't care if you're teaching it to yourself and you're formulating your own thoughts about what the Bible says. I don't care whether you're writing it down. I don't care whether you're in a home teaching a Bible study. I don't care if you're teaching in Sunday school. I don't care if you're teaching a lesson in church. I don't care if you're preaching. I don't care what you're doing in any capacity. When you're handling the word of God, you must know the truth. You must have studied it appropriately. You must rightfully, as the Apostle Paul says, handle the word of God. And that is not something that you do easily. Anybody who believes that simply hasn't read the word of God. So how are you doing in this task? Are you really a student of the word? Are you really thinking through as you read the word of God and study it? What its implications are? And the amazing part of it is people... It's not a book that you're reading that somebody else wrote. It's people wrote what God said he wanted you to know about himself and about salvation. So every time you open it, it's as if God himself was standing before you and speaking the truth to you. It is the word of God. It's the Word of God given to us of what God wanted us to know, to know, as He says in the New Testament, the mind of Christ. When you open that book, you ought to be humbled. This is where the Spirit of God comes to me and meets and teaches me those great and wonderful truths that God has revealed throughout history that are written in this book that we may know, that we may believe, and that we may embrace Christ and him crucified rightly according to the very revelation of God. So I exhort you, please, take serious the duty you have In your own right, be a theologian, be a Christian philosopher, be a person who has a world life You be someone who can defend your faith. But that means you've got to be someone who knows the word of God. And if you don't know the word of God, I'll tell you now, Christ says to you every time you misrepresent it, you are mistaken. You don't know the scripture. You just haven't put the effort into it. That is the great command and commission of us to know Him. Shall we pray?